Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Let me pray for us before we begin. Father, we come to you now in a time of study, Lord, a time of understanding, a time of examining the truth of the text of Scripture. And so I pray, Lord, that you would, for the next little while, focus our hearts and focus our minds on what you would have us to hear. Lord, not on my words, but on your words, on the truth of the Scripture, Lord. And I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we would... Take that truth, Lord, compare it to our lives and be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, for his honor and for his glory, Lord. It's in his precious, powerful, and holy name that we pray. Amen. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a very well-known German theologian and pastor in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s in Germany. And Bonhoeffer found it very difficult to preach and and follow Christ under the oppression of the Nazi party. And he actively opposed Adolf Hitler into World War II. And he was eventually executed for his views and for his opposition to Hitler and to the Nazi power, to the Nazi uh, political party. But before he was executed, he wrote a book in 1937 called The Cost of Discipleship. Some of you may have read it. And in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, it's an exposition of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a picture of how Bonhoeffer believes believers ought to live their life. It's a picture of how we should function in the world. And in that book, he warns against what he calls cheap grace. Now, Bonhoeffer defines cheap grace like this. Let me just read his words. Cheap grace, he says is preaching forgiveness without requiring repentance. It's baptism without church discipline. It's communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. And so he contrasts the idea of cheap grace with what he calls costly grace. Now costly grace, in his words confronts us as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and the contrite heart. It's costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and to follow Him. Now we need to be clear about salvation. There's absolutely nothing we can do to earn salvation in Jesus Christ. Salvation is... Through grace, by faith in Jesus Christ alone, nothing else. You can't work your way to salvation. We would affirm that. But we would also affirm, based on the teachings of Scripture, that once we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, He expects us and commands us, in fact, biblically, to live a certain way for Him. And so today we're going to ask the question, what should we be offering to the Lord What should we be giving to him? What does he expect of us? And more specifically, based on what we've been studying the last last several weeks, what should we be giving to the Lord in worship? 
What should we be offering to the Lord during our time of worship? So I want you to take your Bibles this morning and open to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. This is our third week in our study on worship. And we've defined worship up to this point as recognizing the greatness of God and properly responding to Him. And so last week we talked about the importance of preparation for worship. We talked about the importance of using our week to get our hearts and our minds and our thoughts ready to worship on Sunday morning. We talked about the idea of showing up to church with expectations. We talked about showing up to church with the idea that our hearts are going to experience the greatness of God. And we talked about the importance of leaving, taking what we've learned and beginning to apply that to our lives and follow Jesus Christ. This week we're going to talk about the importance of giving ourselves in worship. Now let me give you a little bit of background in the book of Romans as you're flipping to Romans chapter 12. Paul has written 11 chapters in the book of Romans up to this point. And these 11 chapters are very theological. I remember several years ago I was reading through the New Testament. Some of you have experienced this. And you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. And of course those are written by the apostles. Acts is written by Luke. And they're historical narratives. They tell the story of Christ. They tell of his work. They tell of his life. They tell of his sacrifice. They they tell about salvation in Jesus Christ. But when you get to Romans, I just remember very clearly finishing up the book of Acts and, and getting into Romans and just beginning to appreciate the depth of Paul's writing in the book of Romans. The depth of his understanding of doctrine and the depth of his understanding of who the Lord is. And so for the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, Paul is going to cover some pretty deep theological ideas. He's going to talk about our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. He's going to talk about salvation in Jesus Christ. He's going to talk about our growth in Christ. But when he gets to chapter 12, he's going to do something different. And Paul is kind of known for doing this. Paul's going to take the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans and he's going to talk about the theology of God. The glory of God, the power of God, the holiness of God. But when he gets to chapter 12, he's going to move from the theological to the practical. Now, Paul has done this on several occasions. In fact, several years ago when we studied through the book of Ephesians, you may remember the first three chapters of Ephesians are very theological, they're very doctrinal, they're very deep in a study of who Christ is. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 are very practical. And so Paul ends chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, you can read it. I don't have it on the screen, but I want to read the last few verses of Romans chapter 11 because it's kind of a summary of all the Lord has done for us in the first 11 chapters. I want you to listen to how Paul describes all that the Lord has done for us. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from Him and through Him and for Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Now that's kind of the end of the first 11 chapters. That's kind of the summary of the salvation and the beauty and the power and the graciousness of the Lord. Now beginning in chapter 12, Paul's going to flip the switch and he's going to move to the practical. Now here's what we need to understand about what Paul's doing. Here's the clear picture as we put Romans chapter 12 into context. It's not enough that we just know the truth of the scripture. It's not enough that we just know the theology of who God is. It's more important that we take those truths and apply them to our lives, right? Paul says the first 11 chapters are all about theology. Then beginning in verse 12, here's your chapter 12 and verse 1, here's your responsibility. So let's take a look together. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. We're just going to talk about one verse this morning. 
We're going to hone in on Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 1, and here's what Paul says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. So in other words, Paul's saying, listen, all of what I've just said in the first 11 chapters, in view of all the Lord has done for you, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's power, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, or as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, I began this morning by asking the question, what should we give to the Lord in worship? And there are three things that Paul says here. I want to draw those out and talk about them this morning. Here's the first truth of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. The first thing we need to give, number one, is we should offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord. If we're going to talk about true worship, it begins with this idea that we're willing to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. Now, let's put Romans chapter 12 in context. Paul is writing to a first century audience. He's writing to people that either were Jews and have converted to Christianity or at least understand who the Jewish people were. So when they read Romans chapter 12 and they read this idea of offering our bodies as a sacrifice, they are going to immediately remember the Old Testament and the teachings of the Old Testament law. Now let's walk through this a little bit to understand the importance of what Paul is trying to do here. If you begin to study through Scripture the idea of worship... And the idea of giving to the Lord, it goes all the way back to the very beginning. In fact, what you begin to see early on in the book of Genesis is that the people of the Lord, the followers of the Lord, oftentimes would sacrifice to God. And so we read passages of Scripture like Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. This is after Noah had come out of the ark. The Bible says Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and the birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. See, there's this sense of Noah offering to the Lord a sacrifice. Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 6 with Abraham. Abraham traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he, this is Abraham, built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. There's the sense that he's going to build an altar. He's going to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. Genesis chapter 35, speaking of Jacob, God said to Jacob, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God. So there's this sense all through the Old Testament that the people of the Lord, when they recognized who the Lord was, when they recognized the goodness of the Lord, when they recognized the mercy and the grace of the Lord, they offered something in sacrifice to him. It's all through the book of Exodus It's all through the book of Leviticus. In fact, when the Lord told Moses on the top of Mount Sinai to build the tabernacle, one of the things he commanded him to build within the tabernacle was the altar. That was the point at which people could bring the sacrifice to atone for their sins. But here's the question we need to ask this morning as we're trying to tie in this Old Testament idea of sacrifice to Romans chapter 12 and what Paul's showing us here. Here's the question we need to ask. What does sacrificing at an altar have to do with worship? And we're thinking about the idea of worship. We're thinking about Paul's command in Romans chapter 12 to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. What does this idea of sacrifice have to do with worship? Well, here's the interesting thing about worship. When I started praying through this series several months ago and really kind of started doing some preliminary reading and studying, one of the things I did is I took a concordance and I pulled up every time the word worship is used in the Old Testament. It's all throughout the the Old Testament. But it's interesting to me, the the first place that the word worship is actually used is in Genesis 22. Now you may remember the story of Genesis 22 because 
The Lord has called Abraham to take his son Isaac on top of the mountain to bound him, to bind him and to sacrifice him to the Lord. And so let me just read to you Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 4. They've already made the journey. Abraham has got his son with him. He's got the wood. He's got all the things for the offering that he's going to make to the Lord. And Genesis 22, verse 4 says this. On the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. Now, you know, I just can't even put myself in his place. I've tried to. Every time I read this account, I think about what he must have been going through and what he knew the Lord had called him to do. I think about what the Lord had asked him to give and to sacrifice. And so he looks up in the distance and he sees the place. In other words, he knows where he's going. And he knows what the Lord's asked him to do. And he knows what's about to happen. In verse 5, he, this is Abraham, said to his servants, now watch this, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, that's what Abraham says, and then we will come back. See, there's this, there's this picture in the Old Testament that worship ultimately is sacrifice to the Lord. You see that? And in the case of Abraham and Isaac, it's not just giving the Lord something that's easy. It's giving him everything. So Paul says, if you want to begin to think about worship, if you want to begin to think about the Lord and what he requires of you, you need to offer yourself as a living Sacrifice, But there's something different here. I just love how Paul ties this in again. When, when Paul uses the word offering and sacrifice in Romans 12, it's a tie into the Old Testament. But Paul does something very different here. There's a very interesting difference. There's a very interesting contrast. In the Old Testament, when these animals were offered as a sacrifice, they were killed. We understand that. Paul's saying you need to become a living sacrifice. So kind of here's the foundation. I want you to hear this and understand this. In the Old Testament, the people were called to make a sacrifice. In the New Testament, we're called to be a sacrifice. See, there's a big difference in there. But Paul does something even more profound than that. Paul says, not only are you called to be a sacrifice. Not only should you live your life sacrificially for the Lord, but you're called to be a living sacrifice. In other words, everything about who you are, the very core of your being, everything about your life ought to be given to the Lord. Everything about your demeanor, everything about your attitude, everything about your actions, everything about your lifestyle, everything about your family, everything about your work, 360, everything about your life ought to be given to the Lord as a living Sacrifice. Now, I fear that believers in our culture and in our context have fallen into the trap of thinking Christianity is all about what they can get. Like, what am I going to get from the Lord, right? What's the Lord going to give me? I mean, what's He going to do for me? What, what, what are the things that I'm going to receive? And so we, we fall into this trap of asking questions like this and saying things like this. You know, I, I came to church yesterday and I just didn't get anything out of the service. Or I sat, sat through Sunday school yesterday I just didn't get anything out of the lesson. Or I'm a Christian, but I just don't seem to get anything out of it. It just doesn't seem to help me. Well, here's the problem. It's not about what you get from the Lord. It's about what you give to the Lord. That's the truth of Scripture. And if you fall into this trap about thinking it's get, 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 what can I get, what can I receive, you're missing the truth of what Paul's saying. Paul's saying it's not really about what you get, it's about what you give. 
And this truth is, is never more true than in our time of worship. So let's translate that to where we are right now. When you show up on a Sunday morning, it's not really about what you get. It's about what you give to the Lord. It's not about walking out and saying, you know, I didn't really get anything. It's about walking out and saying, what did I give to you today, Lord? It's kind of back what we talked about last week. It's the idea of showing up prepared for something. It's, it's the idea of showing up prepared to, to see the Lord and to, to, to fellowship with the Lord and, and to, to experience his power and, and to give him all the things he commands us to give. And so we should be asking, what did you give to the Lord today in worship? Did, did you give him your heart? Did you give him your soul? Did you give him your mind and your thought? Did you show up and be prepared in your heart and your mind and your soul to hear from the Lord? Did you give him your heart? Did you give him your actions? Did you give him your attitudes? Or did you just come to worship and sit here and kind of buy the time until Sunday school? <laughs> or did you just buy the time thinking about what you're going to eat at the buffet at 12.05 when you get out of here? Or did you bide your time just thinking about the difficulties you're going to face at work tomorrow morning when you show up at 8 o'clock? And those things are important and those things are part of life. But Paul says you need to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. You need to be a lot more concerned with what you're going to give to the Lord than what you're going to get from the Lord. Now again, back to verse 1. Paul says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, because of everything God's done, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's the first thing. We need to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. But here's the second thing Paul says. If we're going to experience the Lord and we're going to experience true worship, then the second thing we need to understand is that we must offer ourselves as a holy sacrifice. Not only are we to give ourselves as a living sacrifice so that all of our lives demonstrates who Christ is, so that all of our lives point to him, so that we're willing to give him everything. Not only are we supposed to be a living sacrifice, but we're to be a holy sacrifice. You say, well, that's a very difficult word for me, Adam. I mean, I hear the word holy. I understand that God is holy, and I've studied it, and I've read it, and I've seen it over the years, but I'm not really sure how I'm supposed to be holy. I mean, the Lord commands us, be holy because I am holy. We've seen those verses. We've studied those. We understand those. But how are we supposed to be holy? I can't be like God. I can't be perfect in all the attributes of the Lord that we talk about and study. I can't be those things. Well, let's kind of simplify this just for a second. Let's kind of boil this down to the, to the simplicity of the word holy. Holy very simply means to be set apart for God. So the person who is a holy sacrifice has basically allowed the Lord... And it's said to the Lord, Lord, because of all you've done for me, I'm going to set myself apart for your service. I'm going to set myself apart from the world and from everybody around me because of you. Lord, I'm I'm, I'm so in love with you and I'm so in love with who you are and I'm so in love with your grace and your mercy that I'm willing to give up all this stuff and set you aside in favor of what you've called me to do. That's a holy sacrifice. You know, I, I was a kid... I enjoyed collating autographs, and I've been looking for an opportunity for 30 years to demonstrate these. So I'm going to show off some autographs, and it's going to be a sermon illustration, so I can kill two birds with one stone. It's a good sermon illustration, though. I like it. When I was a kid, I collated autographs. Now, autographs back then uh, were a little different than they are now. Now, an autograph is you go on eBay and you bid on it, right? And then you get the certificate of authenticity that says so-and-so sign it, and you just trust that you paid $800 for Michael Jordan's autograph. That's autographs now. It's a little different. Back when I was a kid, we stood in line at the dorms after the college game for the kids that were sweaty and in their sweatsuits and just come from the stadium and we got their autographs. That was autographs back then. It's a little different than now. And so I have a lot of autographs. I grew up in a home where my dad was, a, was, a, was a, of course, a minister of music. I've said that before, but he was a sports editor. 
So I went to college football games and pro games, and I was kind of around these athletes. I had these opportunities to kind of come in contact with these people that I probably wouldn't come in contact with otherwise. So I've got a couple of interesting ones here. This is a piece of paper. You can't see it. So I could just be making it up. You wouldn't know the difference. But I'll show it to you after the service. This says, to Adam, best wishes, Joe DiMaggio. That's a pretty cool one right there. Pretty cool right there. Yeah, thank you for the little, oh, guys, I appreciate that. <laughs> the ladies are like, huh, who's that? This is a good one. If I were just to show you this one, you'd say, oh, this is a Georgia program from September the 5th, 1987. Doesn't mean anything, but it says, to Adam, hunker down, Larry Munson. That's a good one. You'll, nobody will ever get another one of these, you know what I'm saying? He's gone. My favorite. Georgia versus Ole Miss, Athens, Sanford Stadium, October 1982. To Adam, best of luck, Herschel Walker. How about that? Yeah, thank you. I yeah, appreciate that. <laughs> I like that. See, here's the thing about these autographs. They're just written on some little piece of paper, aren't they? And if I just had one of these old programs in here and I showed you this program, you'd think, well, that's an interesting program from the mid-1980s. And I'm, you know, maybe I'd like to thumb through it and you'd probably look through it and find a couple of interesting pictures, and you hand it back to me, it wouldn't be a big deal. It's just an old program. And frankly, if it weren't for the autograph, I probably would have thrown that away with all the other programs I've thrown away over the years. But because that program, because that paper has got that specific autograph on it, because it's got that name on it, I set that aside, don't I? That becomes very important to me. It's not just like anything else. And I set it aside, and I take care of it, and I keep it. 30 years later, I've still got it, and it's still in good shape. Why? Because it's important to me. See, as believers, the Lord has kind of written his name on your heart. He's kind of autographed your life. And when he autographs your life, you know what that says? It says you're special. And you're important. And you should be set aside now. Because he's got plans for you. He's got desires for you. He wants to do something incredible through your heart and incredible through your life. And because of who the Lord is and because of his glory and because of his grace and because he's signed your heart, he says you're different than everybody else. You need to be holy. He said, I've given my life for you. I've autographed your heart. I've given you my glory and I've given you my grace and I've given you my holiness. You need to be different. You need to be set apart. You need to be a holy sacrifice for the Lord. And so what that looks like for us is we need to think differently than the world, don't we? We need to be set apart. When the world thinks like this, we ought to think like Christ. We ought to live differently than the world, shouldn't we? We should have different thought processes than the world. We should have different motivations in the world, shouldn't we? I mean, our motivation should be what the Lord's calling us to do, not what the world's calling us to do. Our motivation ought to be what the Lord wants, not what we want. Our motivation ought to be to reach people for Christ, not to reach the top of the corporate ladder. And again, there's not inherently things wrong with what the world's saying necessarily, but sometimes we put those things over Christ. And we put the attitudes of the world over the attitudes of what the Lord has called us to do. And so at work, when you go in tomorrow morning, you ought to look differently than the people that work around you. You ought to speak differently. You ought to have a different attitude. You ought to have a sense of joy because of who Christ is in your life and what he's accomplished. Students at school, you need to be different. You need to look at what the world's saying to you, and sometimes the world says things that aren't true, and sometimes the world speaks to you in ways that aren't biblical. And so when the world says it's okay to do the things that they think are cool, when the world thinks it's okay to, to drink or to have premarital sex or to speak rudely to your parents or to your teachers or to rebel, that's what the world says. You need to be different. You need to be set aside because the Lord signed your heart. He's autographed your life. See, and he's 
plan for you is so much greater than your plan for yourself. And his plan of holiness and his plan of setting you aside for his work is so much greater than what you yourself can do. The Lord says, you know what? You need to be set aside. You need to be different. You need to be willing to give up the things of the Lord in favor of the holiness of God. And when you do those things, it's worship. Let's continue through this passage of Scripture. Therefore, again, we're focusing on verse 1 of Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice. That's the first. All of our lives should be about Christ. Holy. We should be set apart. We should be different than the rest of the world. And then third, and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So we've seen that we must offer ourselves as a first living sacrifice. Secondly, we need to offer ourselves as a holy sacrifice. And then number three, we need to offer ourselves as a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. We should offer ourselves as a sacrifice that is pleasing to God. Now, there's something very interesting about these Old Testament sacrifices. As we begin to study them and try to understand them a little bit more and try to understand the importance and the significance of them, we we begin to notice something right off the bat as we read through these passages of Scripture. When these people sacrificed to the Lord, in order for them to make a sacrifice that was pleasing to the Lord, they had to offer their best. Okay, when, they, when they showed up at the tabernacle and the altar and they made some sort of an offering to the Lord, it had to be their best. It couldn't be a lamb with some sort of a defect. It couldn't be a lamb that was older. It couldn't be a lamb that, that had some sort of a problem or was diseased. The Lord didn't want second best. The Lord wanted our best. And so we read passages of Scripture like Proverbs. I want you to listen to this. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim with new wine. Now, now listen, this isn't a sermon on stewardship. It's not a sermon on tithing. But there's an awful lot of truth in the fact that we ought to give from our wealth and from the first fruit of our wealth, right? I think a lot of people pay all the bills, spend all the money, do all the things they want to do. At the end of the month, they give the Lord the little bit that's left over. That's not scriptural. And I don't think the Lord blesses that. God says, if you're going to sacrifice to me, you need to give your best. You need to give your first fruits. Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 35 says, We also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of the crops and of every first tree. Leviticus 23, speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I'm going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain of your harvest. There's this sense we need to give God our best. We need to give God our first. We need to give God the things that are important to us. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 19. Set apart for the Lord your God every firstborn male of your herds and of your flocks. If an animal has a defect, if it's lame or blind or has any serious flaw, you must not sacrifice it to the Lord. Leviticus chapter 1, verse 3, if the offering is a burnt offering from the herd and you are to offer it, offer a male without defect. See, on and on and on the list goes. And by the way, just a little side note, it's very interesting here. When Christ came, he was the lamb without blemish, right? He lived a sinful life and so fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies and fulfilled all the Old Testament sacrifices made to the priest over those centuries. See, the Lord says, when you make a sacrifice to me, If it's going to be pleasing to me, it needs to be your best. One scholar said it like this. If offered without any of these defects, it was regarded as holy. That is, appropriately set apart and consecrated to God. In like manner, we are to consecrate to God our best facilities. 
the vigor of our minds and talents and time, not the feebleness of sickness, not of old age alone, not time with which we cannot otherwise employ, but the vigor and the energies of the mind and the body, our youth and our health and our strength. Our sacrifice to God is not to be divided separate, but it's to be entire and complete. Many are expecting to be Christians in sickness Many in old age, thus purposing to offer unto him the blind and the lame. The sacrifice is to be free from sin. It's not to be divided and broken and polluted. It's to be with the best affections of our hearts and our lives. See, there's this sense all through Scripture that if we're going to honor the Lord, we need to give him our best. And when we give the Lord our best, we worship him. And so I think in our context, in our society today, for so many of us, it, it looks something like this. We struggle with this idea of giving time to the Lord. And so we get up early and we work hard and we run through our day and we check off all the things on our to-do list and all those things are important. And we finish everything up. We get home and maybe we eat dinner and do some homework with the kids or study or watch a little TV or whatever the case may be. And by the end of the day, when we're just exhausted, we say to the Lord, okay, Lord, I'm going to give you a few minutes. And we feel good about it, don't we? Lord, I'm I'm giving you four and a half whole minutes of my day. You're welcome, Lord. (laughs) And we think that we're going to please him, don't we? And we think he's going to be happy with that. And we think we can just do that day in and day out and be blessed and he would be honored and everything's going to go well. That's not the teaching of Scripture. That's not the truth of what the Old Testament preaches over and over again. It's not the truth of what Christ himself says. It's not the truth of what Paul says. It's certainly not the truth of Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says you need to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And when you offer yourself in a way that's pleasing to God, you need to give him your best. See, I kind of summarize it like this. I just kind of make it real simple as I think through life. Christ was willing to die on the cross for my sins. Shouldn't I be willing to give him my best? Shouldn't I be willing to set aside the things of the world in favor of who he is in my life? Shouldn't I be willing to follow him and serve him regardless of the cost? How much have you given to the Lord? How much are you willing to sacrifice? How much are you willing to follow him in all areas of your life? The Bible tells us we need to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, as a holy sacrifice, as a sacrifice that's pleasing to God. And when we do those things, those things are acts of worship. I want to close with a quote from Oswald Chambers. Some of you are familiar with his devotion. Here's what Oswald Chambers says. We have the idea that we can dedicate our gifts to God. However, you cannot dedicate what is not yours. There is actually only one thing you can dedicate to God, and that is your right to yourself. If you will give God your right to yourself, he will make a holy experiment out of you, and his experiments always succeed. The one true mark of a saint of God is the inner creativity that flows from being totally surrendered To Jesus Christ. So what have you given to the Lord? What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to give up for his honor and for his glory? Are you you giving the Lord your best or are you simply playing a game? Are you giving the Lord your best or are you simply going through the motions? 
Are you totally sold out for him? Are you willing to give him all things of your life? When you do that, that's true worship. And the Lord is honored and glorified in the things we do. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our time together. This morning, Father, we thank you for this teaching again on worship. Lord, we just, as we study, we see that there's so many portions of Scripture that speak about worship and speak about your calling in our life, Father. And so I just pray right now you would give us understanding. You would give us ears to hear, Lord. I pray we would examine our own hearts on what we're doing and what we're giving, Lord. And I pray you would challenge us with the truth of the teaching of your word that we're supposed to give everything about who we are. Our lives, our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, our actions, Father, is living sacrifices, is holy sacrifices, set apart to be different, Lord, as sacrifices that are pleasing to you as we give you our best, Father. And I pray as we do that, you would honor us and you would be honored, Father, and you would be blessed and you would accomplish great things through us for your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you the opportunity for a few minutes if you want to come and pray at the altar. I think some of you may struggle a little bit as you are confronted with the question of what you give the Lord. I want you to think through that. Maybe you need to pray where you are. Maybe you need to pray at the altar. Maybe you need to be forgiven of your sins and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Or maybe you need to join the church. But this is your time now as we sing together. You come. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.